The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about privacy, but especially with regard to cyber privacy. And we have a really wonderful guest on with us today. In fact, I first met her when she was working at the Privacy Rights Clearinghouse in San Diego, and now she's up in San Francisco doing great work. Let me tell you a little bit about Rainy Reitman. She leads the activism team at the Electronic Frontier Foundation, and you know we've had other people from the Electronic Frontier Foundation on our show before, and now she's doing great work up there. So as I said, she was the Director of Communications for the Privacy Rights Clearinghouse, which we know is that nonprofit advocacy and education group working for privacy and consumer privacy. But now she's primarily interested in the intersection between personal privacy and technology, particularly with social networking privacy, locational privacy, and online data brokers. So Rainey earned her BA from Bard College in multidisciplinary studies and creative writing, Russian and gender studies. So that's interesting how she got into privacy. She serves as a steering committee member for the Bradley Manning Support Network, which is a network of individuals and organizations advocating for the release of accused WikiLeaks whistleblower, Bradley Manning. She also volunteers with several nonprofit and feminist groups. You can find out more about her and all the great work that the Electronic Frontier Foundation does at EFF.org. So, Rainey, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm just thrilled to be able to talk to you again. Mari, it's so great to talk to you as well. Well, I know you're doing incredible work up there, and thank you for all the great work that you're doing. Let's talk a little bit, first of all, about EFF. So people who haven't heard people, you know, my guests before, tell us, a little bit about EFF and what sorts of work that you do with EFF. So the Electronic Frontier Foundation is one of the oldest uh, technology and civil liberties organizations around. And they are we are a law firm and an advocacy center, and we focus on issues that directly relate to civil liberties as implicated by new and emerging technologies, especially the Internet. Um, But it can also uh, include other technologies, whether it's GPS systems or uh, electronic voting machines or what have you. And 
We have several different um, teams here at EFF. We have uh, the legal team, which includes uh, lawyers uh, who deal with civil liberties and privacy, as well as lawyers who specifically deal with intellectual property issues and censorship, and a technology team that does, uh, in particular, um, uh, creating and building uh, technologies to help people protect their privacy on the Internet, like our Firefox add-on, HTTPS Everywhere. Uh, we have an international policy team that uh, flies all over the country, uh, the world, actually advocating for users' rights in uh, negotiations. Um, and then we have the activism team, which is the one that I lead up. All right. So w- tell us about that activism team. What kind of work do you do with that? So the activism team um, kind of has a couple of different roles, but one of them is educating uh, internet users about uh, digital rights issues and how it affects them personally. So uh, when you use the internet, when you interact with technology, how can you ensure that you uh, maintain your privacy, that you uh, 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 maintain your freedom of speech? And those, a lot of that, frankly, is just uh, teaching people about the tools that are available and, and, and what steps they can uh, take to defend themselves. Um, and then another part of it is trying to educate people about breaking legislative issues, and then um, give them a method of speaking out to Congress. Uh, We think it's really important that um, digital natives, people who are growing up in this uh, technology-focused world um, uh, and who understand the implications technology can have for their privacy and their free speech, uh, have a way to let Congress know about the issues that they care about most. And that means um, a lot of net roots organizing where we get uh, everyone from university students to, you know, some of the founding engineers of the Internet to get together and, and speak out about issues that matter to them um, uh, in Congress, uh, you know, on the state and local level, but uh, particularly lately on the, uh, on the national level. So tell us now about CISPA and what, what is that, what does it stand for, and how does it work, and what's going on? Sure. So um, CISPA is the Cyber Intelligence Sharing and Protection Act, and it has been getting tons of press coverage over the last few months, um, largely because so many civil liberties groups and privacy groups have been speaking out against it and saying uh, this bill is dangerous for the privacy of everyday Internet users. It would. Um, uh, it's written in a way that uh, lets companies uh, bypass existing privacy law. So it has particular language in it that says, notwithstanding any other law, which uh, means ignore every other law on the books, <laughs> uh, and then allows them, uh, companies to monitor and intercept the uh, communications of their users. Um, so, for example, if you are using uh, Facebook or what have you, a Facebook would have the ability to um, peer in at the private messages you were uh, exchanging with folks on that platform or any other platform. Any uh, Internet company would have the ability to, to monitor and intercept uh, you know, the personal communications of their users. And then they could take that data um, and uh, share it with the government if they claimed it was for a cybersecurity purpose. Um, and that's really concerning to a lot of us who, um, who have been following these issues because we have a very elaborate body of laws that um, dictate when the government can and can't access certain types of information. 
and content, which is information like emails and, and text messages and stuff, so content, is something that's really held to a higher standard. If the government wants to get access to it, it normally has to go to a court and, uh, and get a judge to sign a piece of paper. But under this particular bill, if it passes, uh, uh, the government would be able to receive tons of very sensitive user information uh, without ever having a judge or jury involved. Um, and there's some other components to the bill, but that's the one that's got so many people worried about it. Well, yeah, because usually, if, if you know, we have Fourth Amendment rights, you know, that that our information should not be searched and seized with, you know, without a warrant, especially for the government, right? So, right, if exactly. they, you know, I mean, if, if no warrant is issued, then they can just go through everything of everybody's and, you know, that's that the total privacy. I mean, what about the Fourth Amendment? What is going on with that? Right. Well, you know, I think at the end of the day, a lot of people, they hear about this bill and they think, oh, cybersecurity. Everybody wants secure networks. Why wouldn't we want to support a cybersecurity bill? But you're completely right in the fact that the way this bill actually ended up getting drafted, like the actual language when lawyers sit down and analyze this thing, is incredibly dangerous uh, for the privacy of everyday Internet users. It, it leaves this gaping hole where the Fourth Amendment used to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's amazing. So... So um, who who are the proponents? Is it the government or is it the the companies? The companies want this stuff because they want to be able to market, right? And then once they have it, the government can is going to be able to get it. So um, are the companies supportive of this? I mean, are large companies supporting this? Right. So a lot of large companies actually have endorsed this bill. Um, companies like Microsoft and Facebook and and some other companies. Uh, one large company, Mozilla, has um, come out opposing this bill, saying that this, uh, that this draft language, this bill, would um, be incredibly detrimental to online privacy, which would, in fact, affect how people use the Internet, which would be bad for Internet companies. Um, but uh, I think the real pushers behind this bill are um, uh, a sort of the... Uh, the military forces, uh, the NSA, different uh, groups within the government that are, are pushing for cybersecurity legislation in general. And interestingly, it's become quite a partisan issue. Uh, what we're seeing is that uh, Republicans are really rallying behind CISPA, and um, Democrats are uh, rallying behind um, different cybersecurity leg- legislation including uh, a bill in the Senate called uh, Lieberman-Collins, which the White House supports. Um, However, interestingly, it does look like uh, some of the privacy concerns that many of the civil liberties groups have raised around CISPA are also uh, existent in uh, in some of the other uh, democratically uh, uh, supported bills floating around the Senate and such. So um, I think we, we have quite the battle uh, in the cybersecurity bills in the coming weeks uh, and, and potentially months uh, to to ensure that uh, privacy doesn't get uh, thrown under the bus. Yeah, and privacy hasn't really been a partisan issue. I mean, I've seen, you know, both both sides of the of the aisle being either con- very concerned about privacy or not concerned about privacy whatsoever. So it isn't really a partisan issue as much as it is, you know, as other issues have been. It's uh, 
But I think in the name of security that, okay, well, you know, like you said, they, they named these bills such a, such a thing. They said, yes, we want to fight cyber terrorism. But, but again, privacy gets lost when security is paramount. And um, so what about what, where folks are talking about cyber Pearl Harbors and thing of that nature? What, uh, what do you think about that with regard to CISPA? You know, we're really seeing a lot of that language go out in a lot of the debates um, around CISPA and all of these cybersecurity bills. Um, you know, every time there's a, a hearing on it, people drag out uh, quote-unquote cybersecurity experts and, and, they, and they talk about, oh, well, you know, uh, uh, people could be taking down planes with, with computers and such. Um, but the way this legislation actually got drafted, uh, it doesn't just affect, um, quote-unquote, cyber pearl harbors. It affects how everyday businesses will be able to interact with the government and with their customers. Um, as a privacy advocate, I'm sure you're very well aware that um, most of the uh, uh, breaches that um, uh, uh, sensitive, of sensitive customer information are, you know, they're happening in a way that, that that's not necessarily a national security threat so much as, you know, just a, a malicious hacker or, frankly, just somebody who uh, hasn't put up decent security on their own systems and is being a little bit lazy uh, and re- results in data getting exposed in ways it shouldn't be. Um, and, and that's a real problem. There's also issues around, uh, you know, software not being updated and there being vulnerabilities in it. Um, but that's, that's not exactly the same thing as a national security threat. So whenever people start dragging out this very um, scary language about um, cyber Pearl Harbor, you have to remember um, most of what this legislation is going to affect, the majority of the time it will have very little to do with these sort of uh, intense scenarios. In fact, it will it'll have a lot more to do with uh, everyday data breaches and and uh, how um, how uh, companies are able to just on a, a daily basis collect data about their customers and then uh, share it with the government, uh, and that's the problem. Is that it's this is not exclusive to uh, uh, really big name security threats. The way the bill is drafted is it's pretty vague about what constitutes a cybersecurity threat. Yeah, and that kind of drives me crazy because I've had people on on this show who are real security experts with regard to infrastructure and talk about the real kind of cyber um, Pearl Harbors, which are like taking down our, uh, uh, you know, our water systems and our electric mm-hmm. systems. And that's, you know, that to me is such a high priority. And if they're over there collecting stuff from every one of us, you know, on Facebook and, and everywhere else, I mean, that's going to just divert their attention from the really important stuff. It just, yeah. you know, it just makes no sense to me. You know, when you collect so much, then you, you can't even really sift through it. You know, it's just too much information anyway. I mean, aside from the fact that it's very invasive and a Fourth Amendment violation, I mean, if you look at it just pragmatically, you know, it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I think there is this idea that we see so many folks in uh, in in the military and in Congress uh, who believe that you know if we just get more information, we'll be more effective, we'll be better able to stop things. And what they end up collecting is 
the mundane and sometimes quite intimate details of uh, people's everyday lives, their browsing history and such, data that the government shouldn't have access to. A lot of times we talk about, you know, oh, well, you know, cybersecurity proposals are about keeping sensitive data away from the hands of people who shouldn't have access to it. One of those people is the United States government. The yes. government yes. ought to have certain uh, processes in place. They should, they should have judicial oversight before they go uh, rooting around through our email inboxes. Uh, and, you know, this legislation, if it were to pass, would really undo some of those, you know, bedrock privacy protections that we've put into place through law. How about some of the amendments? I know that there were recent amendments. Did they help? And kind of explain those to us, and, and how, do, how do they help or not help? Sure. So um, uh, CISPA has passed the House now, and the fight is now on the Senate side, and the Senate bills are, are slightly different. But uh, right before CISPA passed the House, um, uh, certain amendments got put into place, uh, and there were a couple that helped out a little bit, uh, though they did not fix all of the major privacy problems. Um, one of them uh, got rid of or said that um, cybersecurity threat information, so data that a company could share with the government, wouldn't include um, certain types of content. And they listed uh, tax returns, medical records, uh, gun records, and library uh, records. Uh, and that's certainly a good thing, but um, it, it didn't do very much to actually narrow it. So, for example, uh, while your actual medical records may not be able to be shared under this uh, uh, particular uh, provision, um, searching on Google for a medical condition would be. <laughs> oh, goodness. So it's, there's, there's very easy ways to, uh, to go around um, those provisions. Um, Plus, that, it, again, that, that, that looks for errors, too, because if I look on for a medical condition that perhaps um, a friend has instead of me, then that's going to kind of have an erroneous conclusion. Do you know what I mean? Like, let's totally, say some, somebody, yeah. let, maybe I'm looking up about addiction to heroin, and I'm not a heroin addict, and I'm looking up at that, then, then I'm going to be put into that classification, do you understand what I'm saying? So it's Absolutely, it, it, it yeah. really, you know, that's that's not really real anyway. You know, you don't necessarily know, but you can come up with some some conclusions about that. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, so there were there were several other amendments. One of them um so one of the major issues about that privacy advocates have raised has said, you know, in order to report cyber threat information, a government doesn't a, a company doesn't need to be passing you know, troves of sensitive information, uh, including, you know, the contents of emails and, and things like that. Uh, and wouldn't it be better if uh, personal identifiable information wasn't included in uh, the data that got shared, and rather it was just threat signatures? And um, there was an amendment called uh, Minimization Retention and Notification Amendment, which didn't even come close to addressing this concern. Um, it said that if the government received information that had nothing to do with the cyber threat information, that wasn't necessary, um, that they could, uh, they would notify the company that they had shared this information. They, it didn't mean they had to get rid of it. They just had to notify the company. And then they may, quote-unquote may, they don't have to, but they may uh, 
choose to undertake reasonable efforts to limit the impact on privacy and civil liberties. Oh, goodness. <laughs> so that means so, nothing. <laughs> yeah, so, so there's no guidelines whatsoever for what the, what the government would actually mm-hmm. have to do with the data that it would, um, it would have collected in this, this ridiculous fashion. Mm. Um, Crazy. Yeah, so that, that was actually quite um, disappointing. Um, I- and... Now, what about yes. uh, what about now? The Rep- representative Rogers said that he was working with the civil liberties community on fixing the bill. So, actually, how were civil liberties concerns integrated into the final text? Was there anything good that came out of the uh, the collaboration with civil liberties groups? So this is a little bit of a myth that Rogers has been pushing. He kept saying, "Well, I'm working with civil liberties groups. I'm working with civil liberties groups." Well, he worked with a group called the Center for Democracy and Technology. Oh. And what they did <laughs> what they did was they suggested a series of amendments that they wanted to see go to the floor for a vote. And they said if these moved forward to the floor for a vote, then we wouldn't oppose the process of of the process moving forward. Now, they would still oppose the bill and they still didn't endorse it, but they wouldn't mind those amendments going to the floor for a vote. Well, Rogers got this statement from them and immediately put out a press statement saying CDT uh, withdraws their opposition. The CDT hadn't withdrawn their opposition. But what was so frustrating, was so frustrating about the whole thing, is that those amendments never were allowed to make it to the floor for a vote, Mm -hmm. which means the privacy protective things that they had worked for never even made it to a place where, where representatives would have an opportunity to vote for them. And that was a real tragedy. Mm. EFF uh, personally felt that even with the amendments the CDT had suggested, this thing was still such a civil liberties nightmare that it really shouldn't get passed. But um, uh, this idea that Rogers has been working with the civil liberties community is a, a fallacy, and it keeps popping up again and again on the coverage of this issue, which has been just so frustrating for all of us who have been opposing this bill from day one. Now, what do you suggest that people do to help to make sure that that at least when it gets to this, that as it goes through the Senate, that they, um, you know, have their voice be heard? Have you got something on your website that people can just fill in the blanks of of where they are and what they want to say to make it easy for them to write to their senators? Or what have you got? Yeah, so what we have right now, um, we're working with a coalition of different groups uh, to try and raise awareness around this, and we're blogging and we're we're doing various things. But it really helps everyone if everyday Internet users um, contact Congress and tell them to uh, to oppose the bill and to support privacy-protective amendments. Um, and uh, we have on our website, if you go to EFF.org slash um, cyberspying, uh, then uh, that will lead you to a form you can fill out that will allow you to contact your senators and tell them um, not to uh, sacrifice civil liberties in the cybersecurity debate. So I really urge people to do that. And as the debate moves forward, we'll be updating that with the newest information on the bill, including um, information about calling your senator if necessary, if we get really close, and... uh, um, and, and things of that nature, with the hope that as, as many people as possible speak out, uh, Congress will really get the message that uh, they, you know, whatever happens in this discussion, whatever, you know, g- negotiations are made, 
the privacy of internet users should not should be non-negotiable. Like that is like of primary importance for everybody in this discussion. Right. So, um, what else are you doing about cybersecurity? I mean, obviously, what you know, what are you going to do if this thing does pass? <laughs> well, you know, at that point, I'm, I'm not totally certain it might pop over to the legal side of EFF if it yeah. does pass. Yeah. Um, so, I have to tell you. Um, Interestingly, Obama has issued a veto threat on this bill. Uh, in fact, he's issued it twice. Okay. He said, um, he said uh, before it went to a vote in the House, he said that uh, if this bill were to come to his desk in its present form, uh, his senior advisors would urge him to veto it. And then after it passed the House, uh, people were saying, well, he had said that about the earlier version of the bill. He didn't mean it now. Oh. And there was a, he, he said, no, I did mean it. Oh. And he's, he issued it again. And he said, if this bill comes to my desk, uh, we, I, our senior advisor, the senior advisors would urge him to veto it. So we do have the opportunity. If, if the worst were to happen and uh, the Senate were to pass something and it were to get uh, conferenced with the House side CISPA, then we would have the opportunity to pressure Obama into vetoing it. Though we really don't even want to see it come to that. No, so I just want to repeat that we want people to really go to EFF.org and, and that slash cyber spying, and they can look at, is there more, there's more information about the bill, and then they can write to their congressman right there so they don't have to send a letter, and, and it's, it's all right there. It goes right to, right to them directly, correct? Yeah, that's perfect. Um, and we'll keep covering this issue on EFF.org uh, as it moves forward. But whatever happens, we're going to keep that page updated with a way that people can contact Congress directly. Now, we don't just have a couple minutes left. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the other campaigns that we should be looking forward to looking at that EFF is going to do? Um, sure. So uh, we've been doing a lot of work opposing uh, data retention, H.R. 1981, which was a bill that would uh, mandate certain, uh, your ISP to maintain uh, records on everyday Internet users. It's a really interesting um, bill because even though it would affect everybody using the Internet, they say it is a uh, a child porn preventing bill. So it's just another example of Congress trying to pass a bill that would affect the privacy of everybody and then put a, a really nice issue on top of it, you know, something everybody could get behind, like right. preventing child porn, which is something everybody feels strongly about. And, and you know, um, Rainey, that people just, that, you know, the bills are so hard to understand and so long that people just hear the title and that's it. And they go, oh, well, yeah. I can support that, right? I don't even think that the congressmen read all those bills. Yeah, and, you know, unfortunately, um, the bills are written in such complex ways that a lot of times it takes uh, lawyers to sit down and really analyze them and analyze the ramifications of them before they can really be understood. It can be a very slow-going process. Yes. Um, the other thing I think your listeners might be interested in is we're continuing to advocate for the Do Not Track flag. Yes. Um, I don't know if you've uh, reviewed it before, but the Do Not Track flag would be a very simple um, setting in your browser. It's actually available in all of the browsers right now with all the major ones other than Chrome, and Chrome has promised to add it in the next few months, which would allow um, users to indicate as they move around the web that they don't want to be tracked 
by uh, third-party online advertisers with whom they don't have a relationship. So all the little tiny companies that have embedded code on different websites um, all over the Internet uh, are able to create this map about your um, your interactions online, where you go, etc., and build this pretty detailed profile about your reading habits. Um, and by you know trying to send all this tracking off can be really technically challenging, even for people who work at it quite a bit. But this do not track flag would be a very simple way of indicating to all of these companies, hey, I don't want to be tracked online. Um, and then by setting this flag, you would have the uh, just a real clear signal, and then it would be up to those companies to sort of respect it and not just try and find technical ways of routing around your privacy settings. That's great, Rainy. Thank you so much for all the great work that you're doing. We've been speaking with Rainy Reitman, who is the Activism Director at the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Rainy, thank you so much for all your great work, and we're going to have you back again, so keep it up, okay? Okay, thanks so much, Mari. Okay, thanks so much to you, too. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, the host of Privacy Piracy. Join us every Monday morning right here on KUCI right at 8 a.m. And visit our website at KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy and write us emails about what's important to you about privacy in the information age. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.